Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This is it! The time has come! Saturday night's all right for fighting. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night with Gareth A. Davies. You're better than that! On Talk Sport. You're listening to the Fight Night podcast on TalkSport with me, Gareth Davis. Joining me this week, Spencer Oliver in the studio. First up this week, Lee Wood, newly returned to WBA Championship World Status, beating Mauricio Lara. He joined us in the throes of enjoying the family in Skegness. Here's what he had to tell us. shot there from Lee Wood. Tremendous. All the talk about the power of Mauricio Lara and it's the Mexican. Dumped onto the seat of his trunks. Another brilliant right hand from Wood. I'll tell you what, these right hands on the landing, they're having the effect. Lovely left hook from Lee Wood. He feared he would face the same ending as last time around, but he's produced a technically flawless performance. Yeah, obviously, I'd, I'd trained really hard for a long time since uh, since the first fight. Um, 12, 13 weeks of really hard grappling away from my family and my kids. Um, pulling the fight was never an option for me. Even if it was £10 ever, I was still confident in getting the victory. But um, I was making weight and there was all the talks of him not not being actually being allowed to make the weight. He's going to be coming quite heavy and I was... I can't quite pissed off to be honest because I was still making weight and I was thinking he's not having to go through this and I am, um, but like I said, I just got my mind mindset and everything was, was so focused on getting the victory at any cost that I tried not to get distracted and just kept my kept my focus on the fight. Because there's a there's a school of thought that, and you almost alluded to it there, you almost touched on it that it actually made you more determined because he hadn't made the weight. Yeah, like I said, it, it just pissed me off. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was I was making weight and I was thinking he's not having to do this and um, it just gave me that extra like that extra little bit of thinking 
I'm going to make you pay for this. And you um, do. Do, you know, do you know what, Lee? That's a champion's mindset, yeah. that, though, mate. Yeah, because exactly. to do that, because that an, another person, that could have got in their head and gone, you know what? I'm going in a guy, with a guy here. I've got to overcome the demons of that first fight, getting caught the way that I got caught in that seventh round. We've seen Mauricio Lara before. We saw against Josh Warrington. So you knew what he was all about. You knew his makeup. He's a tough, rugged guy. He comes in that, that, that much overweight, and that's... That's going into your head as well. People that don't understand the psych- psychological sa- side of the sport in the fight the fight week, the build-up, etc., etc., those little things that can make a huge difference. For you to be able to do it, do what you've done there and overcome that, you know, is credit, credit to you, mate, because, you know, when I knew he was coming in four pounds over, I went, I would have pulled it. I would have pulled it. I would have went, no, I think he's taking a liberty. He's purposely not done that. He's not, as we all know, that little guys, if they come in pound over... Two pound over, you can sort of accept that you go. He's missed the weight, but, but you four were proved pounds, wrong. But you were proved. I wrong. was proved wrong. That's and what I'm shouldn't saying. Shouldn't have pulled it. No, no. And everyone was saying that, and we're so delighted. This is where you I'm didn't. going. This yeah. is where I'm going. Let me finish. Let me. This is where I'm going. Let's <laughs> so that, that, that's Let the. You know what I mean? So what my point is, like that shows a champion's mindset because you proved not just me wrong, many of others as well. Because he was a dangerous guy, mate, and for you to overcome that, credit to you. Yeah, for sure. And that's from the outside looking in. No one's thinking, well. He flattened me the first time round. Now he's coming in at the weight above, and I'm coming in at featherweight. How is he going to win this fight? But um, I know Mauricio Lara so well. I know I know him inside out. I prepared for him since last June. Then the fight got called off. Carried on preparing for him. Last the last the first fight, I, I in my opinion, I only got caught with a daft shot because I was looking for. I was going. I was trying to stop him. I was I was that much on top. I was trying to get the knockout. And this time, when I hurt him, I, I kept to my kept to my boxing ability. I kept to the game plan. Stayed disciplined. And just think, you know what? I could push a stoppage here, but I don't want to get caught with something daft trying to do that. I'll, just, I'll stick to cruising to a victory. Well, you did. And as I say, the word is masterclass. Um, mm. how, how many times have you watched it back? And what have you been able to do since? A week's passed. Have you managed to enjoy the week? Have you been on a victory parade? Tell us what you've been up to. <laughs> yeah, so um, I've um, seen my kids quite a lot. I'm just actually in my car in Skegness at the minute outside. Uh, a club. My, kids are in, my clubs are in there having some Panda Pops in the play area. So I'm going to catch them up in a minute with, my, with some of my family and that. Um, yeah, I've just um, I've just been catching up on life. had some good food, some burgers. Um, had, a f- had a few bottles, not too many because, um, Listen, you know, like I said, I've only got a few fights left. So I don't want to go push the boat out too much because I believe I've still got my best nights ahead of me. Probably two more fights and I want them to be the biggest and the best yet. Skegness is quite a favourite hotspot of yours, isn't it? I think when you beat Kanju, you was up in Skegness. You went up there as I well. Did, I you did, that. mate. Yeah. I do remember that. You, you know, I don't know how I remember that, but I do remember it. <laughs> so I've got a few spots at the minute. You know, my friend, um, <laughs> one of my friend moved. My best friend moved to Dubai, so sometimes I, f- I fly out to Dubai and see him. And I used to come here every holidays as a kid growing up. So um, it's kind of tradition for me. I bring my kids here. There's so many of Nottingham lot down here. So when I walk around the market and that down here, yeah, I bump into a few people that say hello. Um, but it's nice. It keeps me grounded. The kids love it. So um, all is well. I love the fact that you're in touch with reality like that, mate, and you've kept your feet firmly on the ground. That is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice place, you know. Have you been down here before? I've not been down there, mate. I'm, I'm not good, but you go there so much, you're sort of tempting me now. I'm changing my mind a little bit. I think I'll have to um, get home and have a look at it. No, honestly, mate, it's mint down here. Um, as, as Spencer rightly pointed out, and as you've said, you've reclaimed the WBA belt. You're 34. You just said that. There may be only two fights left in your career. Um, you vowed to make your dream fight now at the 30,000-seater city ground in Nottingham Forest. Um, in Nottingham Forest city ground. Um, 
Who's the opponent you're looking at for that event, and when would you like to do it, Lee? I think if I if I would add him in order of opponents, I think Josh Warrington would be leading the way just because of the fact it's Nottingham Leeds. Um, the atmosphere would be unbelievable. He would bring his a lot of travelling fans. I think Nottingham will come out for me for that night. Um, so that would be top of the list. Um, if if not, then if the timing don't line up with that, um, you know, there's so many options. There's, there's a unification fight which would probably be big enough. Um, with who? Obviously, that'd be, with my, who? that'd be myself trying to fill the arena. But I think if it's the right fight, um, Alberto Lopez. Lopez. Yeah, exactly. That that could happen. Um, I'm saying I've got two fights left, but that's just that's a definite two fights. If I'm performing well and it's fight by fight, you know. But I don't want to be hanging around boxing, taking taking shots. You know, see how the fights go. But I'm aiming for two more, uh, and we'll see how we go. And I want to tick that box of the city ground because that's the only, one of the only reasons I'm still boxing. You know, that's. It's not really, I'm not motivated by money. I'm not motivated by anything else, really. The boats are nice, but um, I want to leave my little bit of history in this city. You know, Frotch did an unbelievable job leading the way, but I want to have my own little stamp and um, my own bit of history in the city ground. We'll just do that. It must have meant something that he was doing commentary last week as well. We've got him on the show later on. It's nine years to the day, by the way, that he fought... Uh, George Groves at Wembley Stadium. Uh, I don't know if you were there that night with 80,000 people. I was people. there, mate. Were you there? <laughs> yeah. And um, the day before that was 10 years for the Kessel fight. And then yeah. obviously my fight will be a little anniversary, but day after day after day now, so quite special. Did it mean something that he was on commentary, his voice uh, was playing out there as we were getting you on? It does mean a lot that two men from Gedling have made such an... From the village of Gedling, can I say, yeah. have made we've such an impact of, uh, on British and world boxing. A lot of similarities, me and Carl. Mm. Um, he inspired me from, from 10 years old. We went to the same club, same amateur gym, same area. Um, so many similarities. And um, yeah, it does it just put the ice on the cake that he was on comms. Um, I've spoke to Carl since and hopefully we're going to go go see him, get on his podcast in a few days to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. You probably won't need the nose job that he had done afterwards, uh, after his career, though. <laughs> I said that's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it's, it's a compliment. Listen, I think the similarities, I don't know what they put in the water down there in Nottingham, mate, but the similarities are you you two are like throwbacks, like caveman yeah, style, exactly. like tougher than tough people that don't know about, you know, when you've got a bite down on your gum shield, you go beyond that. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? You go to where no other human being is willing to go. People don't understand how tough that is sometimes in those fights, like yeah. looking at the Conlin fight, using that as an example, what you went through to get that victory in that 12th and final round. Cole Frotch is a carbon copy of that and it must be saying you put in the water down there well Frotch did it against you know Jermaine what? Taylor didn't he, he? Did. in a very similar yeah. fight with Jermaine Taylor to your fight with Conlon didn't he mm. yeah he, he pulled out the bag in the in the dying minutes but um, do you know what I love every minute of it that's what I'm in the sport for you know I thrive on that, that them fights where people don't know if you're going to come out the other side mm. if you're not sure if you're going to win and it's a challenge just mentally as it is physically and um, that's what I'm here for I'm, I'm here for every bit of that and um I thoroughly enjoy it. <laughs> but that's a special ability, that is, to be able to turn that around in a fight when you you know, when a lot of fighters can feel sorry for themselves and you dig deep and you turn it around. That's a special ability, that is. Yeah, and it's not just on fight now. And I say this a lot, but throughout my career, though, there's been a lot of times when people have just said, do you know what? I'm hanging them up. I'm not getting the fights. I've not got, I've got no money. I'm, I'm 30 years old and all the rest of it. But, you know, I just kept in there. I kept chipping away, I kept training, I stayed disciplined, I didn't have anything, but I just knew in my head it's going to come at some point. And it might never have came, and I've still been training thinking it's going to come, but um, I believed in myself, and luckily I got the opportunities, and um, I ran away with it, and that's where I am today. 
Also fresh from watching a couple of his rivals in action where we were live in Bournemouth, uh, obviously at the Lawrence Acoli defence of the WBO Cruiserweight title, lost, of course, to Chris Billum-Smith. Richard Reakpour, one of their rivals, was there. He talked to us about what he thought about Acoli's tactics, about the fight itself, and what's up next for him. He wants a world title as soon as possible. Here's what he had to tell us. Welcome to the jungle. So difficult. There's a body shot. Big long hand. That came from nowhere. He's never been hit. He's never taken a shot. We've never seen a goalie under pressure. Now is the time. Still looks very tired here. Lawrence of Coley, but he's been caught again by the top two speed Coley. He's trying desperately to get away from the Coley to throw his own shot. A Coley goes down again. Almost falls to the canvas. He's going to get counted again. And the I'm a boxer, but I'm also a, a fan, and that was horrible. That was horrible. The whole event, no, not the whole event, sorry, but the but the, the whole fight. So I feel like I need to do it anyway, some at some point. But it wasn't it wasn't good. Too much holding. Um, yeah, it's true. He should have got disqualified. I think that was quite dirty tactics. That's not what you call boxing. That's not the noble art, um, the art form of this sport. And I think um, the referee did a great job mm. but he could have done a bit more he could have definitely done a bit more he was harsh he took points away but he gave him um, he was lenient with him to be honest but he shouldn't have been disqualified that needs to stop that type of style of boxing needs to stop now you're signed with boxer Ben Shalom and Sky Sports as the broadcaster as well you're there right at the top of the tree in the cruiserweight division you could challenge for any number of the belts where, where you're positioned <laughs> Lawrence Acoli has been very fervent and very strident that he wants the rematch. Where do you stand on all of that? And what are the talks behind the scenes with you in the last week with the promoters? So, yeah, I think we're in a, a very good position. I've been talking to um, Ben Shalom and we want to make these fights happen. A lot of people want to see um, me versus Chris Bill and Smith naturally because we've got history. Um well, you've beaten him. And plus, it's a, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I've beaten him. <laughs> but it was a I great fight him. as well. It was. It, was a, it was a great fight. It was entertaining. And um, I think maybe, I think his fans actually are, are telling him, that I think Richard Rappel is, is, is the next one. It makes sense. Now he can mm. rectify his loss. But the, the division is a bit weird because he ha hasn't been too keen himself on, on actually, you know, trying to make that fight. He's just, I don't know, maybe he just had ambitions of, of just being um, winning the world title and I don't know if he wants to retire or, or anything. But um, I don't know. They that's haven't an really interesting thing too to much. say. He actually wants interest. to retire. It's a bit, it's a bit weird. Yeah, but... I that's, that's what I heard. I heard I heard him say in one of his interviews saying 
that you know he wants to win a world title and he'll retire after that or something. Yeah, so. that they may be just the spur of the moment after that yeah. fight, difficult maybe. training camp, maybe. you know, difficult. That was a draining fight, and I'm with you, Richard. You know what? To go back and watch it again would be very, very difficult to to do. You know, Lawrence Coley was involved in that fight with David Light, where people were walking out in their droves. Then we get into this fight, a fight that you know everyone was expecting fireworks, etc. And it was a messy affair, and it was ugly. And oh, I agree with you, mate. I was sitting there on the edge of my seat, and I actually. It was different to you, Gareth. I was thinking, he's going to sling him out. Marcus is going to sling him out. It's going to happen. He was so lenient. Fair play. That he allowed the fight to go on. And Rich, um, sorry, Chris Billum Smith got the victory that he wanted, like on points as opposed to in by front of 15,000 fans. Absolutely. That's why Marcus McDonald didn't Absolutely. do it. He was at home, football stadium, one off yeah. event yeah. in Bournemouth. But to the- watch it again would be very, very difficult to do. Like, I, I think that. I'll be wasting my time. I'll be wasting my life. I think that, you know, and that's why I I think that there's a great chance that yourself and Chris Billum-Smith, like you say, you got history, the last fight, you won on a split decision, great fight, you know, you both had your moments in that. That would be brilliant for a world title fight, and I think that that could be possible, that could be next. Are you hearing that? That that makes makes a lot of sense. And even, like, business-wise, you know, that would probably make the most money out of every single world title fight out there right now. Of course. So, of course. Of course, everybody loves a domestic clash, and plus, our style—I don't hold my opponents. You know, mm. if you see my—if you see my style of fighting, I, I can box, and uh, it makes—it makes a lot of sense that we just—we just get on like. Uh, but now, like right, right now, but we're gonna—we're gonna find out to see if he wants it because, to be honest, I don't think he does. I don't think he, him, and his team wanted wanted it from from the get go mm. because this fight was supposed to happen. A lot of people don't know. But when I fought Glavaki, that fight, that was supposed to be me versus Crispin and Smith number two. Mm. But there was some funny business behind the scenes. They were saying that, you know, he he doesn't want it or he wants to fight like somebody else. He wants to fight a Coley. It was so weird. I was like, look, let's just, let's just get on. Like, mm. what's all this talking about? We're making way more money than we made the first time. Let's just jump in there and made the best man win. Are you suggesting? But, are you suggesting, Richard, that Billum Smith sees a Coley as an easier fight for himself, and he's he's not ducking you, but he's swerving you for now? I think he wanted a world title on the line. That's what it was. I think that he recognizes that it's a fight that is so difficult and a fight that has got massive magnitude about it. A fight that, you know, would draw massive numbers and it needed a world title on the line. And now's a perfect opportunity. Now's a perfect time because there is a world title. Listen, I I, I wouldn't argue, Richard. I mean, mean, if you can say what's going on in in the background, it, it would really help us. But. Would you be prepared? Obviously, Bournemouth is the place to do that fight. Would you be prepared to go there and challenge course, him for the world title in course, Bournemouth football? Of course, group? of course, Gareth, because this is what champions do. I've always believed I was number one from the get go before any of this happened. If you listen to my interviews, I always said this. I said, "Look, I'll take this guy. I'll take a Coley out in X amount of rounds." People were just like, "I don't know, I don't know, Richard, but I feel like he could win." Or maybe it might be a tough one for you. Now seeing him get beat with being with a, a jab and a hook. Like, just imagine what I would have done. Just, mm. just imagine. Like, look, I, I don't mind going to Bournemouth. I don't mind getting on anywhere. Like, I'm ready. I'm, I, I actually believe I am the number one and I'm willing to prove it. Mm. But at the same time, I'm not going to be chasing these guys saying, let's fight when these guys don't want it and, they, and they're trying to fool the public, making them see, seem like they're proper champions. They're not, they're not really 
about that life, in my opinion. They don't want that smoke. Yeah, but you because haven't fought since January. You haven't fought since January. We're now in June. When are we going to see you in action? ASAP. We're gonna be, I'm going to be back out in August. That's the, We're planning to get back out in August regardless. You know, I think he needs time anyway for his cut to heal because I don't know how bad it was, but everybody keeps on talking about the cut. So I don't know how long that would take him. If he actually decides to step up to the challenge, then... He's gonna. It'll probably have to be like September, October, or something like that. No, it will be. And he had internal and external stitches in that in that eyebrow. I mean, we were with him okay. in the dressing room afterwards. It was a okay, gr- so horrific gash. Yeah, it was horrific. Okay, it was a bad so one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so you're so gonna, you're going to be out in August. You're, yeah. So so give us an indication of who you're heading towards. I don't know. We're gonna see. We're gonna see. Um, the team are are working on opponents. Because if we can finalize the CBS, then I could just step out, have a shake off, and then and just go for the one straight after. We could but see we, CBS September October sort of time. Yeah, straight away, like straight away. But Why can't you fight get... Jai Opatia or Badu Jack? Badu Jack has got that belt buried in the, in the sandcastle <laughs> in, in, in the Middle East somewhere. They they got they got a flipping they got hounds and camels all around it. Nobody's getting in there. <laughs> That's a very Nobody's good analogy. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's yeah. touching that WBC towel unless you're paying some stupid, stupid, stupid money. And to be honest, I don't, I don't blame him. He's had a hard career, mm. hard fights, and he's trying to rake it in. They, if they hear my name, it'll be like Freddy Krueger. Like <laughs> they want to go to sleep at night. You know what I mean? I'm um, to- talking of Saudi. <laughs> what's your view? Which we spoke about in the first segment tonight at nine o'clock. What's your view on Alexander Usyk signing with Skills Entertainment, the Saudi Arabian boxing promotion? That was an interesting move because you know what? I think you can tell Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury talks like, yeah, like he's ready to fight whoever. He doesn't care about the money, but clearly does. So now the money is behind. Music, I don't think that he can say no. Do you think it's good mm. for boxing, Richard? Do you think it's good for boxing? Yeah, I think it is because money talks. A lot of the reasons why a lot of fights don't get made is because of money. It's, it's always down to the business. Mm-hmm. A lot of fighters would actually jump in the ring with a gorilla if they pay them the right money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the truth. That that's is the true. truth. It's, it's always, a business. It does go back to money. It's business. It's, it's business. a business. And that's, that's the thing that like pretty much spoils boxing. Sometimes it's nothing to do with the boxers. Sometimes it's to do with the the, the promoters. Like they they want they're trying to make a little bit of profit for themselves. So they don't want to fork out and pay what the fighters want. So the the people that are upset are the fans. And the fans are like, oh, this this fight is not taking a fight. What's this guy's not a proper fight? But they don't know. They don't really understand about the politics that goes on the business um, mm-hmm. side of things yeah sure yeah it is like you say it's a business and and you the fighters go where the money is and the Saudis are showing big interest so, signing Alexander Usyk and I'm sure big more big names to come yeah 100% you never you never know you might see a react for on the on the can I, can, I, can, I, can I ask you another question? I'm, going, I'm coming up to heavyweight, by the way. I, 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 you've got the frame. De- yeah, definitely. Can I ask you another I'm question? I'm 100% going on heavyweight. One yeah. of the big questions about last weekend is um, because Chris Bellum-Smith had sparred so many rounds with, with Lawrence Ciccoli, he and Shane McGuigan had a ga- ga- great game plan, in my view, in that they exposed Lawrence Ciccoli's style. And 
it may mitigate him against him again now, whichever referee steps in against or with, rather, because of what Marcus McDonald did. Do you still feel that Lawrence Acoli can change his style or is he going to get punished now every time he goes in the ring for that holding, Richard? Man, that's going to be... That's a good question. Mm-hmm. I feel like he will get punished every time he starts to hold. They're going to scrutinise him. I remember when I was in the amateurs and because they saw I was taller and more slender than my opponents, the first thing they did was come to the corner and tell me, Richard, I want to see no holding, any holding you're getting points deducted from them. They haven't even seen me fight. I never even held in my life, but it's because of our previous um, fighters that they've judged and, and they, were, they were holding and they were doing some funny business. So we, he's going to get scrutinized from the get-go and he's going to be forced to do something that he's not used to. And I think that it's going to go, you know, it's going to go pear-shaped for him, to be honest. Right, Richard, I, like, want, I want to rewind yeah. now, mate. You touched on that heavyweight business. When are we going to see Reactpour moving up to the heavyweight division? Like I said, you've got the frame for that. And you, the, by the way you were speaking there, it seems imminent that you are going to move up. I'm coming. I'm coming up. I'm coming up. I think I'll, I'll put a proper dent in in the heavyweight division. So is it um, a case of my... case of winning a world title at cruiserweight and then jumping straight up? Yeah, that's the that's the plan. I want to I want to win world titles. If if it's just if it's long to make fights, then I'm I'm going straight up. I'm not wasting no time. The British no, Evander Holyfield. I, I have a yeah. I have a I have a window, and I'm looking to maximize. You know my my potential in in this within this 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 time, and um, trust me, you're going to see some beautiful fights with me involved. Trust me, proper entertainer. We were then joined in the studio for a whole hour with East End boxing royalty in trainer Mark Tibbs. Wow, the stories. Take a listen to this. Since I was six year old, I've been in a gymnasium, boxing gymnasium, the Repton Boxing Club in Hackney, mm-hmm. or when it was back then. And um, obviously, uh, you know, I was an amateur fighter up, up until uh, 15, 16, 17, 18, before I turned professional. But my father was a, a, um, he was a, a, boxer, a boxer, professional boxer himself, a good amateur fighter as well. Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy. Jimmy, my dad, the, uh, the colonel or the boss. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's, uh, and, and I guess... You know, I've been in and around it all my life. My dad's been, a, you know, he's been involved with uh, Mickey Duff and Terry Lawless and, and Frank Warren and uh, and uh, Barry Hearn. You know, through 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 the years, and uh, so I guess I've been brought up around it. Yeah, no choice almost. Definitely no choice. Yeah, yeah for, <laughs> sure, for sure. Well, one of the, I mean, I was about to introduce the fact that obviously. Your father is steeped in boxing. I mean, he was a sparring partner of Muhammad Ali when he was over here at one point, wasn't he, in the 60s? He, he did a... Um, he was uh, when... Uh, I think he might have even been called Cassius Clay back then. Yeah, he was. He was, yeah. it was the first yeah. fight with Henry Cooper, wasn't it? That's, yeah. that's correct. At Highbury, uh, my, my father was on the undercard. Yeah, that's correct. But yeah. but in the build-up, he even sparred with, with Ali, didn't in he? In the build-up, he, he had a, he done a, like a promotional spar. And, uh, There's a famous photo of Ali on the floor with your yeah. old man standing over him, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. That's well, right. My dad, my dad really, he says now, he said, Mark, do you know what? He says, uh, to be honest with you, I didn't really know what was going on. I was asked to get down to, you know, get down to uh, the gymnasium the White, in White City, I think it was. And uh, and before he knew where he was, he was in the ring with uh, with Ali and mm. uh, shaping up. And next thing, he was on the floor, <laughs> you know. And uh, that was typical 
Muhammad Ali. You know what I mean? It was a, it was a, it was a good, um, good, mm. good, good. At the time um, for my father, it was brilliant. Amazing yeah, memories yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. yeah, as you say there as well, though that there wasn't a choice. Um, you went into the amateur ranks. You were in the gym from the age of six. Um, were there ever other things that you really wanted to do in life? Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, my brother was uh, good at football and at a very good level. I played for. He he played for. Uh, he had uh, Leighton Orient, Leighton yeah. Orient, and uh, he, he had trials at West Ham. But you know, I never football was not for not for me. I played at, I played in senior school, but because my brother was good at football, I chose the boxing route. I guess you know, mm. and uh, I probably couldn't compete with him. <laughs> but you know it, what, boxing's one of those funny sports, isn't it? Because I started when I was seven as well. But it's like one of those sports that if you do it at a very very young age, you yeah. said six, I was I was seven. It's that first time you get punched in the face, you either love it or you yes. hate it. It's Marmite, innit? And it's like, and if you love it, you, you, you're instantly you're addicted. addicted. Yeah. And, and well, that, that's, you can't get that out of your system. Well, I found, I found videos. I've got a, a good uncle of mine. He's not a blood uncle, but he was, uh, he's very close to my father. And he, 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 uh, he's been around me all my life. He's like me, me second dad, Dennis Stockett, his name is. But he used to video and take pictures of, you know, of all my fights. I've got all my videos. Uh, professional and amateur since I was a little kid, but after he brought he brought something round to me a couple of years ago on a on a card. They call it SD card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was me like like Gareth just said there getting punched in the face. Yeah. Uh, this actually was a few years later at West Ham Boxing Club, but the gloves were as big as me head, mm. <laughs> and uh, I've got some good footage of me sparring back then. But uh, no, you know I think. The, the, the uh, what it gave me back then was uh, it just it was so so it just it was part of my schooling. I, it teaches I, you the life skills that you need to develop in it, to develop in life, doesn't it? It teaches those you know your respect to, to respect others, you know to you know open the door, shut the door for people, absolutely and, all of that stuff. My, my, my teachers back then, uh, you know, I, I very good uh, very good boxing teachers at Repton Boxing Club and West Ham, but. Um, but Repton and I had uh, very fond memories at Repton where I won a lot of amateur titles there. Mm. And they actually taught me my craft, balance and timing and things like that. And obviously distance and timing comes with, with experience sure. and things like that. And we see and we read things mm. you know, that inexperienced people can't. But So I think that starting as a, as a youngster, as, as, as young as six, I mean, that, that's, that's what it did for me. But, you know, it doesn't mean to say... Uh, you know, not everyone has to start that old, sure. uh, that young, I should say. I you remember know. you boxing as an amateur. Actually, okay. I had my first fight in 1986. You was amateur until about 88, weren't you? That's correct. So when did, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. just just, to, just before, because I remember all your professional career because I remember you. You was like the top amateur kid turning over at the that's time, it. and I was just starting out. So you're the guys that we look to and go, okay. wow, because you 94, were boxing for yeah, 20 right. old, 25 fights. Something. Like that. I had 25 fights, yeah. 23 wins, two lost, yeah. one draw. Yeah, but you know what, uh, Gareth. I'll be honest with you. You know, my 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 last. I turned. I, I I thought I'd have a year off of boxing when I was about four or five years as a pro. You know what I mean? I thought I, I was getting a little bit stale and a little bit lost. Uh, you went out on a winning streak, didn't you? Like a lot of fighters retire when they've lost one or two. You only lost two fights through your whole career, but yeah. I, was, I was looking back on your career and you went out on three a four, stoppages, four four fight winning more than streak. That, I think yeah. uh, more than that. I, I think I 14 KOs. 14 no, KOs. No, 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 your last yeah. three were stoppages. I, I, mean, I was a, I, mean, I was yeah. a, yeah. Well, listen, look, but I'll be honest with you, um, I, I turned professional a little bit, as me as a coach now, yeah, you know, I've got, 
I, I know what I should have done and what I shouldn't have done, and that's what I can give to my my my, my, my students today, my young my young prospects, so to speak. I've got a question for you, right? All you guys from the East End, yeah, I used to, I had a couple of tear ups with a lot of the guys from Repton and yeah. West Ham, and they were always the hardest fights for me, no matter where they were in the country. Yeah. How comes all the guys from the East End? You're like, I know you're all like you're all sort of flat-footed and quiet, <laughs> but you're all heavy-handed. I don't think I've ever met anyone that can't punch from, that come from West Ham or well, Repton. Well, to be fair, you know, it was only like I guess 15 years ago I started to watch my videos, yeah. etc. When I was at Repton and when I was at West Ham, and it was good for me as a coach why I identified what you just say at West Ham. Flat footed. Flat footed, yeah. No head movement. Front just football. have a tear up. I never thought I was strong, but I, I was... You like, was heavy head. Lightweight, I remember lightweights it. the whole time, yeah. But but I was... I was uh, now I started off as super feather as a professional, yeah, yeah. but moved on to uh, light, light welter. Mm. Light welter. Yeah. But, but, as an amateur, you could punch though, because I, rem I remember yeah. you like, watching you as a, as a young kid. Well, and then... Sorry. Yeah, your professional record would say that. Like, you had 22 wins, you had 14 KOs. Yeah, and that I, was difficult to do. Well, I, I'll be honest with you... Uh, Spencer, I thought like I didn't feel I was very, very strong as a professional, right? Because, but I was a good boxer. Mm. I was a very good boxer. But rep, what I was trying to say now, Repton Boxing Club got me, got my, my head, my head behind my my front knee on of mm. or behind my front knee. Then I learned a balance. It felt so awkward at first. A, a fella called George Odwell, not a fella, he was a coach, boxing coach, a very lovely man. There was Georgie Bowers, Georgie Odwell, and Tony Burns that looked after yeah. me. And uh, Georgie Odwell, my first day at Repton, my dad took me down there. He, let, he, he introduced me to the club and left me there. I used yeah. to get a train up there to Whitechapel, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, Sunday morning. And anyway, he, um, Georgie Odwell got me to sit with my head behind my, my, my front knee. And do you know what? It felt awkward at first. I thought, well, I don't like this. But I dealt with it, dealt with it. And before I knew where I was, no one could touch me. Because yeah, Repton was stylish, yeah, right? I wasn't they? taking shots. I was slipping shots and I was countering. Mm. And I thought to myself, as I'm a coach now, I thought, well, perhaps because perhaps I wasn't a bigger puncher, that that's why they've got me doing that. But listen... The art of boxing is is hitting and not getting, sure. and I'm glad I, I'm glad I, I'm glad I slipped a few. So the two clubs you got there, the West Ham's are the flat-footed, heavy-handed, and the, and the stylistic fighters were the ones that come from Repton, and you I had a taste so. of both of them. I I, I believe so. I, yeah. I really think so. And uh, and, and and moving forward, uh, Spence, uh, thinking about my professional career, you know, there was I never found my weight. I never mm. found my weight. You know, my weight was. Uh, I was I always had to make weight as an amateur. You know, it was it was it was not unusual for me to be drying out every couple of weeks mm -hmm. make, making weight. So as a professional, I never really found me weight. Uh, and when I just before I I didn't really retire in on about my twenty twenty third fight, I thought I'd take a uh, take a year out. And why why? Well, I'll be honest with you. I just wanted I just wanted to start thinking for myself. You know, I, I just needed a bit of time. Bit what of time. were you then? Mid -20s. Fighters need that break sometimes. I was early 20s. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah. so yeah, coming up in mid 20s, yeah. yeah, coming up in mid 20s. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was, um, Spence, uh, uh, Gareth, I um, I thought I'd take a year out and I had a business in Canning Town, a car wash business. I had a yard and a, and a garage, yeah. 
And, um, Lock, stock and two smoking barrels. <laughs> <laughs> well, something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and Joe, what? That kept me busy for a bit. And, but Joe, what? I, I went. I've been to your gym in the yard, tucked around the back, round oh, the that, back, round the back. That was West Ham years ago. That was the old gym. Like, yeah. Scrap yards and yeah, yeah. That was an amazing. It was that was like a. A, a scene it looked like a scene that's from a Guy Ritchie movie that's yeah, what it was yeah, like though yeah. mate. I used to go Snatch. to West Ham in the pub do you remember yeah. in the pub the West Ham yeah, in the yeah. pub that's where I used to go sparring with Danny Lear and all them kids that's where we I trained yeah. yeah and you go in there mate and it was just like it was raw and you could smell it and it yeah. was just you mm. knew you was in for a tough day sparring when yeah, you went in there he's yeah. one of them Mark do you know what I mean yeah, yeah, you walked definitely. in there and it was like you see all these little amateurs that are like 11, 12, 13, 14 yeah. and they're all fighting like pros all standing yeah. there and having tear ups and you think yeah. Oh, mate, I've got to go into this. It was, not, it was always like you were as happy when it was over. That's right. I mean, West Ham, that was, I actually spent some my professional years there because my dad ran his professional camp from that that, that club as well. But um, you talking about my best days as a pro. Sorry, can I talk about this? Yeah. yeah. We're going to go to a break yeah. in a minute. My, but yeah, my we'll best days as a pro, believe it or not, it was in South London at the Thomas of Beckett. Mm. And I was just, it was just before... On I, the old Kent Road. On the old Kent Road. I met some good guys there. Yeah. Started to find myself a little bit, find me, me Repton style a little bit, me, me, me balance yeah. and uh, put on a bit of weight. And uh, Was Terry Lawless there, Frank Bruno there at the time? Was that after them, was it? No, Terry Lawless, he trained out of a gym and my dad ran his, his gym in Canning Town yeah. in, uh, along the Barking Road there, Terry Lawless. That's where he had his stable there. I did train there as well. I spent a lot of time there. I was lucky enough to to have trained and spent, I reckon, a, a couple of years there um, before Terry retired to Spain. What about the Henry Cooper? Did he train there? Because I used and, to train there as well. Yeah, I never went to the Henry Cooper. I never went to That was just Cooper. down the road from the Thomas Beckett. I it heard was. that. Yeah. I heard yeah. that, yeah. yeah. I used to go to a cafe. Is that, remember Dean Powell? Yeah, of course. Of course we yeah, remember yeah. The, the late, course great, great course Dean Powell. Rest well, in peace, Dean. Well, Dean, Dean. Brilliant Dean. matchmaker for Frank Warren and others, yeah. That's, he definitely was. Trainer, just, matchmaker, Dean. go for everything. I remember Dean, when he walked into the gym at West Ham, the gym yeah. that you just said, in Plasto there, and he was uh, he asked to help me dad mm. uh, you know help me dad as an assistant and i remember him to this you know god rest his soul i, I remember him walking in that gym and, and you know and working with him but he was a phenomenal matchmaker he knew a lot about the game i'm not you know not, not, mm. not trainer wise but 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 logistics of how everything worked he was he was brilliant but he um he took me to the thomas beckett one day and i, and I felt i finding myself a little bit I, you know just felt natural you know mm -hmm. i could think for myself and that and so you know what? I had some fond memories there. I met some met some good people, Lennox Lewis, uh, Pepe Carrera, some some big names over there, some good characters, you mm -hmm. know, some South London uh, yeah. characters who I, who I can still remember, but, you know, had, had, had a great time there. Mark Tibb. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to add in the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to work in the channelized Bingbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Trainer, former boxer, son of Jimmy Tibbs, legendary East End boxing family. Jimmy uh, is a guy that we all love very much. Um, he's always in the corner with you. Um, yeah. And I'm, I assume he's working with your current stable with you all. You probably can't keep him out of the gym, can you? <laughs> no, he's a... Uh... See, but see, my dad—he absolutely comes alive around boxing. Mm. He's quiet man, but he's very, 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 very wise. To um, mm. do you know, he just to anything in the sport. Yeah, he's he, he's very, very wise. We 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 used to clash a lot, obviously, like father and son do. But um, when when we had work on, and it and it and, and it went off, it went as in like in a fight in our fight, boom. boom we click in the gym bump we click we're like intuitive or what they call it when you're when you're uh, you're in you're, tune yeah, 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 yeah. we're one we're you read one. each other's minds yes, Look, yes i would never have have expected to ask you this question not before maybe 2 2 years ago you're training um ebony bridges yeah. you're training elbrook who's an only fans or fans only crossover misfits um only fans star who's actually developing as a boxer and is pretty decent. You're working with these fighters on Misfits. Yeah. Or some fighters on Misfits. You've trained Billy one, Joe one, Saunders. One, one fighter. One, one fighter. fighter yeah, one, one fighter. <laughs> but, I mean, listen, we, we've done shows at Misfits. We've seen yeah. you there. We've been yeah. there for Talk Sport. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just different. Yeah. Um, you've trained Billy Joe Saunders. You've trained Richard Riakpour. You've tra- I've got a whole list of them here. Yeah. yeah um, you've, you've, you've had a load of guys that you've trained. Um, Billy Joe Saunders, you trained for the Canelo fight. Yeah. You were out there on a major occasion. And the Martin Murray fight. The Martin well. Murray yeah. fight. You, you, you... My dad, my dad, let me just remind you there, Gareth. Dillian my, White, of course. Yeah, my dad... Uh, was Billy Joe's f- very first trainer? He was when he when he turned professional. Well, I think uh, yeah, yeah. He had his amateur coach along with him, and then obviously my dad took over. But um, that is why, um, to be honest with you, because uh, I was fi- I finished obviously boxing myself, and I, was, I guess I was in me mid late thirties when Billy Joe when my dad trained Billy Joe, and I was me Billy Joe's dad. I was me dad's assistant then. Mm-hmm. So me, what I'm trying to say to you, Gareth. My dad trained Billy Joe Saunders from from his very first fight up until right through the ranks, Southern area. Um, British. Took him to be a champion. Yeah. Took him to that took level. Him to the, took him Developed to world, him basically to a world yeah. champion, to yeah. world title. But him. so so I learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot around me dad and Billy Joe. What uh, are the things? Mm. What are those things? If you could pick them out, what, what what are you learning? What what are what are the details that you're learning that you carry with you to your next fighters? Well, uh, listen, it was pretty easy for me because uh, because as I say, I've done it since I was six year old. So so. So, and I've been through my father when he was uh, training uh, 
all the boys or men, I should say, at uh, Terry Lawless's camp. He had a stable of, uh, it could be 20, 30 fighters. You know what I mean? And uh, it was a, it was like a fat fight factory. Mm, yeah. And mm. they, they, they literally uh, controlled the boxing back then. If you know they what I'm did. saying, until Frank uh, Warren come along. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and and broke the cartel as yeah, we say. Exactly. And um, and and, and how, how good Frank is been for been amazing. He's, amazing. He gave me great advice over the yeah. years. And yeah. um, and and you know, really, really been in my corner. I got to say that. And uh, yeah. But I trained with your old man when did for, you? Yeah, for three days we yeah. were doing a series on Sky with ten of the top trainers oh, around right. the country, and it was at the time Dean Powell, Brendan Ingle, yeah, um, yeah, like all the top. So Howard Rainey, yeah. your old man Howard was one Rainey. of them. And, yeah. and your yeah. old man at the time was training Wayne Alexander. Gotcha. So I was watching him, and he was giving Wayne like Wayne like Wayne was sparring. You remember Wayne was really yeah, heavy-handed, but he used to pick his chin up in the air. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And your old man, <laughs> this sticks in my mind, right? Your old man goes, "That's it, Wayne. Yeah, stick your chin up a bit higher, son." That's <laughs> but it registered because he then put it back yeah, down. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it was brilliant. And it, what your dad taught me, and this was after my career had finished because it finished in that '98, and I went to do this training thing. And I was still only like 25 or something there, but getting inside his head and speaking to him about what how he trains fighters and you know yeah. how he calms them down and in the corner etc. and teaching them like patience, timing, yeah. and all yeah. that sort of stuff was absolutely fascinating. Like, like I'd say, I trained with ten of the top trainers. Yeah. Your dad, I found the most fascinating because. Brilliant. He'd been there, seen it, done it. Yeah. And it was just like speaking to a boxing god, really. I want to ask both of you, because obviously your family is steeped in boxing. Your mm-hmm. late great dad is obviously yeah. and his his brother and yeah. the gym in Finchley. And in a way, you're both... Um, you, you don't... I don't say you don't know anything outside boxing, but there's not a yeah. lot about boxing that you don't know. Yeah. Um, what is it about... When you get young fighters, when you get young boxers, when you get young kids mm. come in... Is there, is is boxing naturally inside some people and you see it from that very first session? Is it something that we should be impugning on more young kids? Should it be in schools, in your view? Should, even if it's soft, big gloves or... What does it give you? What does it give to young people? Well, listen, there's levels. There's mm-hmm. levels, yeah? It depends mm. what you're talking about. Mm. Listen, boxing is is brilliant and should be mm. back in schools for mm. everybody, mm. for all these youngsters. What's going on on the streets today and yep. in schools is absolutely diabolical. With knife crime and all yeah, that. Yeah, and listen, it, it teaches just, the kids the discipline yeah. that they need. I think they lose their respect. fear. I think it's when no you do respect. combat sports or contact sports, you lose fear. Mm. And once you lose fear, you're not carrying knives, are yeah. you? Yeah, no, of course. You listen, know? confidence. Boxing exactly. gave me. Exactly. Boxing gave me. I didn't realise it. Till, till I was in me, till I was a teenager, uh, one of my mates come up. Uh, one of my mate, no, actually, I was at uh, the races, the yeah. races at Ascot. I was, at, I was in my late twenties, and my mate come up to me. I ain't seen him for years, and uh, we was having a drink and watching the races. And he went to me, Mark, why are you so confident? Mm. And I was thinking, it's a lovely thing to say, but yeah. uh, trust me, I, I, I'm weighing everything up. I ain't always confident. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, but, but boxing gives us that. It gives, it gives us, you know. It, when I look back at videos now, watching me, and I thought, uh, not, not cocky or flash, yeah, and, but and, and, and it gives you, te- you that boxing. You've got it in the locker. It carries. And, you yeah, carry that confidence. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and can you teach it in people, or does it have to be there? Nah. Let me tell you something. If you've got the time, yeah, you can put it into people, but. You know, there is levels. There's levels. Look, let me tell you something. When we talk about Dillian White, Billy Joe Saunders, that man over there, yeah, champions, yeah, champions, champions, yeah, they've got a quality that you cannot put a name on it. 
They're yeah. born with it. They're born with it. Absolutely. It's in them. It's in them. But, you know... So it's in nature. Let me tell you something. Let me give you an example. If you can give me a bit of time, yeah, look. Right, Richard Riakapur, you mentioned him earlier. Yeah, um, we've had him Gareth. on tonight already. Oh, have you? Yeah, we've had him was on the show. Has he been in the studio? No, he's been on the phone. Well, Richard Riakapur, listen, when I was working with Dillian White, yeah, he gave me he gave me uh, Richard to, to train, yeah. We used we used Richard. Well, I say we used. They knew each other. I didn't know, but, you know, he's in, he was around the McGirls gym and he sparred with Dillian. Great gym, McGirls. Yeah, yeah. lovely yeah. gym, lovely yeah. atmosphere. Down in but Brixton, of course. Richard Riakapur, I think I had him. Billion uh, give me him. He had about four or five fights, I think, four, four, six rounders. They must have been. Anyway, so I had, I had an eight rounder. No, I had a six rounder with him at the O2. Yeah, got the feel of him. I knew, I knew he was capable, and he could punch. He could, he can punch a uh, uh, Richard. But there was He's some. He's a big puncher. He is. Is he the best cruiserweight? I want to tell you something. We're going to come to it now, right? Okay. Isn't it? <laughs> He's Isn't jumping it? the gun. Yeah, yeah. I know where you're going with this. I know <laughs> yeah. exactly let me, where let you're going. Let me just tell you something that's really interesting. Well, I, yeah, it's normal to me, but I want to give you an example. What happened was, with Richard, yeah, he went to me very early on, early on as I was working with him, he went to me because... Oh, he, he was he was always looking for that big one. Yeah, always. Yes. He lacked a bit of confidence, though, well, didn't well, he? Well, yeah, there was something missing. Yeah. Uh, something missing. So so I, I went, Richard, listen, you know... You you have got that big punch. You went, Mark, I always find them. And I went, you'll understand this, Spencer. I'm not saying you won't, Gareth. You've been around boxing as well, you know. But when he went to me, when he went to me, Mark, I always find them. I'll always find them. Mm. So I went to him, Richard, yeah, you always find people who you've got with you now. But if you want to be a champion, you've got to learn to box out, box your way yeah, in yeah. and box your way out of trouble mm. if, if need be. Anyway... Dillian um, was getting ready for... No, we was almost there, ready for the second uh, fight with Chisora. Chisora 2, the first one was a humdinger like The that. Manchester fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Manchester fight. But I thought Chisora won that by a round, by the way. Well, listen, we got the result. Dillian, yeah, we got the result. result. Dillian won. <laughs> Boxing right, right. gods will win. What a, right, right. That's a fight, though. Yeah, it was what a, fight. a fight. But listen, listen to this, though, Gareth. The second one, uh, we was in a good place, uh, me and Dillian. And uh, anyway, he says, Mark, uh, he managed uh, Richard Riakapo. He said, yeah. Mark, he's going to fight Sam Hyde next. Uh, this is uh, Richard. Anyway, so I was, you know, I can't keep my eye on everything. Yeah. So I've got jotted a name down, Sam Hyde, gone about my business. Anyway, after about three days, I rang him up, Dillian. I went, Dill, listen, look, let me tell you something. This Sam Hyde, you never fought them sort of people. I said, listen, it was in Manchester. Mm. Actually, it was on the Alexander Bill versus oh, Tony Ballou. Right, listen. I had got the big swollen eye, we, didn't we? We was on That's that, right. yes, yeah. it, we was on that, right? So so I think in Manchester, Joe Gallagher, we ain't around mugs, right? Listen, so so anyway, so so I rang Dylan. I went, Dill, listen, I'd like to be a bit more time with Richard before mm. we go into it. No, 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 he's having it. Mm. He was adamant, he was adamant, and I was like, well, all right, we've got work to do, we can do it. But anyway... So I went, listen, right, deal. I, I rang him back, so we put the phone down. He said, no, he's got to fight him. We've all had a chat. We've had a meeting, boom, boom. So I went, rang him back. I went, listen, we're all right. I've got to go to Manchester with him at the beginning of the week. No problem. You're in a good place. Goes up there with him. Because at the time, Sky was interested in, in Richard because of his backstory, if you get him talking, yep. talking about. Yeah, yeah. He was stabbed as a teenager. Yeah. It's an amazing Sam, story. Yeah, Sam was, was a, a and he turned his fight. life around, yeah. Well, it listen to this. Coming of age fight that was. He was he didn't win a round. Yeah. I didn't know what to do with him. <laughs> he froze. Yeah. He got he got he was he was he was listen, he was like a punch bag. Listen, and I, I I had a few people in the corner that I didn't need, but listen, I'm in a, I'm in his position now. Anyway, I I think it, if my member Rightly, it was about the eighth or ninth round. 
I had enough of what I was looking at, yeah? But he wasn't fighting back. He wasn't throwing. Mm. So, so I went to him. So loudly and clearly, I looked at him in the eyes so his friends could hear him. I says, um, Richard, your body language says you don't want to be in here. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, then I, 100%. Then I, then I pulled him close to me. I said, please let me pull you out. You know what he did? As soon as I finished my sentence, he stood up, pushed me out of the way, and went and finished it. Yeah, and that's yeah. what I need. Yeah. I remember that. that. I was there. It's fascinating listening to your tales. You're just talking about um, getting into the ear of a fighter when you see, you notice with perspicacity and alacrity that you need to get in there and give them a message because they're not producing what they have inside mm. them. Yeah. It's so instinctive, isn't it? Hundred percent. Um, Gareth, and, uh, can I tell you briefly after that? Because we're talking about Richard Riakpour in a fight with Sam Hyde in Manchester yeah. on the undercard of Tony mm. Bell against Alexander Usyk about two and a half years ago, yeah. um, and you weren't happy with what you're seeing with Richard Riakpour at the time. Yeah, he wasn't winning a round. Spencer was there, I think he was. Mm. I was there as well. Yeah. 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 You, Gareth, I remember yeah. it well. But anyway, we pulled it out of the bag. We, we I chatted with him. You know what I said to him? I said, uh, I said to him, uh, listen, Richard. Uh, you know, your body language says you don't want to be in this fight. Then I whispered to him, can I pull you out? Wallop, got up, went and bludgeoned him. <laughs> yeah. Joe Gallagher chucked the towel in. Good luck, you know, done the yeah, right thing. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. Is Richard... Re oh, okay. in, his, in his next fight, this is very important. Now, going, in, going into his next fight, he had to, he was facing Tommy McCarthy. Yeah. A really astute amateur and on paper better than Sam Hyde. Right, so we knew the public would be thinking, well, listen, he, he couldn't do, you know, he didn't mm. handle the, the Sam Hyde fight, right? How's he going to take on Tommy McCarthy? So we had our own work to do, but I'll keep this short. I've got Tommy, I've got uh, Fabio Wardley in the gym. I was working out at the Peacock gym in Canny Town in E16 at the time, but I've got Fabio Wardley in, who was Dillian's sparring partner mm. at the time, mm. yeah, who hadn't done a lot. You know yourself of, of mm. uh, Richard, um, of uh, not Richard, um, Fabio, Fabio, yeah. But got, I also got. Um, he was a lovely, he was a lovely, uh, lovely fella. I've worked with him loads of times. Uh, Craig Richards. Yep. Mm. Light heavyweight, is he yeah, a cruiser? Luke. Light heavyweight. No, he's light heavy. Light, light heavy. heavy, yeah. Well, I've got he's him in. He's a huge light heavy. He is. I've got him in as well because I knew he could box and he's resilient, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Chuck. spider. Yeah, chucked, um, chucked Richard in with Fab. Got four rounds, warmed him up. And then I got, then I got, um... Craig Richards in and he boxed him he showed him how to box he showed mm. Richard how to nick rounds not nick rounds win rounds yeah. you can't keep waiting otherwise you're going to get yeah. you know you might not never land your big fight uh, your big punch sure anyway we worked for about three weeks constantly in the Peacock gym in the private thingy and he went and he went out there at Sam McCarthy we had, I'll never forget this he was up I forget where it was now it might have been in Liverpool but I remember it was in Peterborough Peterborough well done well done Spencer yeah. yeah. listen to this before we <laughs> Walked out. You must, isn't it? Before we walked to the show, I had one last chat with him outside the um, outside the hotel. I had one more little chat with him, yeah, mm. about what we just done, what we just did. We don't lose rounds, and hope we get the hope we get get the big at home. We got a pinch, nick, and win rounds. Anyway, he went out there four rounds, just absolutely took the fight to him. Different fire, mm. and um, that's a, 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 it's, it's, all, it's, all, it's, all, it's all mental. Absolutely, it, it's, it does react poor have the potential, we had him on earlier, to be the best cruiserweight in the world. He's a, he's a, he's a bit special, Riakapol. Will he beat Okoli? 
Akoli, Akoli, not impressed me. I'll be honest with you. No, we talked about that yeah. earlier. It, listen, it was, listen, it was listen. a very messy fight with Bill v- Smith last weekend. Very, wasn't it? very, yeah. It was. Uh, you should know, have been disqualified. He should have been slung out. He was his own. Listen, he beat himself. Should he have been himself. disqualified. Chris Billum Smith. Chris Billum Smith didn't really do a lot to win. I, I know yeah. it was a tough situation for him to win, mm. but being, but... He was resilient. I, 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 took I, some punches. I wasn't... I think the referee there, everyone's... Uh, Marcus uh, McDonald. Marcus McDonald done a great job because he imagine did. the pressure he's under. Yeah, of course. It's a big show, yeah? Mm. It's a big show. He's got to, you know, he's, mm. got to, he's got to weigh everything up. But he... Um, I, would, I wouldn't have been surprised. I wouldn't have been surprised if he got disqualified. Do you know what impressed me about Billum Smith's performance uh, out of everything? The way that he kept his composure for, oh, for what yes. he was going on. Because the frustration as a fighter, yeah. you know, that frustration yeah. in front of your 15,000 yeah. pounds, this is your moment, boxing yeah. for that world title. And he kept himself cool and calm because Riatpour was making it, I'm sorry, not Riatpour, Akoli was making yeah. it ugly. Yeah. He was making it yeah. difficult. But that's what impressed me about Billum Smith. Should he have been DQ'd? I would have been surprised, Gareth, if he was. Will he be mitigated against the next time he goes in there by other referees now because it's almost been exposed in a well, sense well, look, let that me he see. does hit and hold a lot? It's not appealing, is it? What he does is not appealing. Listen, when we all need to have a breather from time to time. So what do you do to a or, boxer who's doing that, Mark? Well, what would you do if you were with a Coley in, 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 in the training camp, in the gym? What would you do with him right now? Well, you've got Footwork? A, well, it's distance, isn't it? Listen, he's got... Over, well, I think listen, he's in what, his head. I'll tell you what, listen, when he got when he got when he got that when he was getting caught by that left hook left hook lead, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, it was. Bob, yeah. Bob, left hook lead. I think he, he wobbled a couple of times, didn't he? So yeah, but, he did. He got yeah. put down. By yeah, well, there you go. Do you agree? He's just got this instinctive thing. He throws two shots, and then he just naturally ties up. It's 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 like it's impregnated in his brain. Right. Just to throw the two shots, tie up. Spence, safety first. Listen to me. I've got this very good. Amateur boy in my gym, yeah, uh, uh, who, who is about to be a professional, but he was around me, same sort of style. I wouldn't look at him. Mm. His people around him want me to do this with him, that with him. But I went, I didn't, I didn't want to be personal. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. But listen, that's not attractive. Yeah, right. That is not attractive. Listen, if we need a breather, we have a, we've got to grab an old, mm. or we get clipped on the whiskers. Got, got a bit nick a bit of time. But listen, that is, that is. Too much. That is too much. I mean, when he went down the floor, listen, Akoli, mm. I've only chatted him. I've been around him a couple of times, quite yeah. a few times. He was in the peacock yeah. with Brian O'Shaughnessy. Lovely, lovely geezer. Lovely, lovely geezer. Yeah. And do you know what? When he let his hands go, which was, wasn't was a lot, mm. what a dangerous specimen he'd be. Mm. You get me? Yeah. I listen. thought, whoa, you know what I mean? Yeah. But he's just got a, he's got a, it, like you say, uh, Spencer, it's in his brain that, you know, it's just, it's just a default. Yeah. But like, let me get him back this amateur kid in my, in my, in my gym. I wouldn't get that nowhere near him. I said, don't do nothing. We've got to stop grabbing before I get, even look at him. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, I'm working with him now and, you know, yeah. he's, 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 he don't, he don't grab. Yeah, I won't, I won't have nothing to do with him. It's not so pleasing on the eye, but it's, but it's effective. But can well, he do, well, do you remember he... Jürgen Bremer? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Jürgen yeah. Bremer, yeah. Jürgen Bremer, yeah? If I remember Bremer. rightly, yeah, I remember that name. It's just come to me. Danish, right? <laughs> did, did he go, was he, he went 30 European, European tile. He was yeah. as old as the eels, but <laughs> yeah, he used to go, bop, bop, grab, yeah. bop, bop, grab, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard to beat, wasn't it? It was hard to beat. And back then, I've got to say, I quite liked it. So, but... As I've grown, as I've even it, used it to a certain yeah. extent. I boxed well. a Norwegian geezer that done that once. He was a Norwegian geezer. Yeah. It was the most frustrating time of my life. It was one too old. Yeah, yeah. Needless to say, I lost Hopkins the fight. Hopkins used to like, do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bernard listen, Hopkins used to use it. it. It's a tactic, but it but, is, it but, is. 
But, but overuse is not boxing, is it? It's not very appealing, yeah. is it? Um, no. Let me ask you, because we're, we're we've got Frank Warren joining us in the next segment. We'll, we'll go to that in a minute. And I just want to ask you, as an old school, as we, we've kind of discussed tonight, you're an old school boxing guy from an old school boxing family. You're training Elbrook, who's in the Misfits, um, the Misfits Boxing KSI's outfit that's signed for pay-per-view events. They're doing big numbers. It's a very different milieu. We've been there ourselves a couple of times with with TalkSport. I find it fascinating. Mm -hmm. Do you have to move that in one way, or is Elbrook different? I know she's sparring with Ebony Bridges, who you also train, who's done phenomenally well. What's your take on Misfits? Do we have to be careful how we view it in the boxing sphere, Mark? Well, Gareth, this is this is it. Look, this is what I did when I had a meeting with uh, with L and her manager, Chris. Um, I done it. I done it uh, through through one of my other fighters. Out of respect, you know. You know, I'm I'm always very open to see. You know, you know, got to give people a chance. And uh, we I done a day on day off basis. I think for a week. And you know, and listen, I'm a professional trainer. Yeah, mm -hmm. my job is to train and coach. And bring people on, you know, and mm -hmm. and and add add positivity and any negative in their life. I'll try and, you know, I'm not a bloody, I'm a boxing yeah. trainer, yeah. But yeah. you know, and uh, and it's a lifestyle. Uh, Spencer, let you know, Box, yeah. boxing is a lifestyle, and it, you know, if I can help and bring people along in the in the in their life and make them better, uh, what uh, better than what they are, then I'm happy to do what that. What I've mm -hmm. seen, and it's my is job. She's she's as committed as any other. Let That's me the key, isn't now. it? She's as committed as any professional fighter to the cause of being better. Gareth, let me tell you something. This lady can be a professional mm -hmm. woman. Can she boxer. win a world title? She's 24 years old. Uh, Ebony Bridges is 35 years old. She's got time. You get Many me? Of time. Right, but listen. And there's not a pool of women boxers, so if you can get... Like, yeah. I've seen the way she's developing, and actually yeah. you can take her seriously now because she actually looks like a boxer. You Look at some of them kids Spence. on the Misfits. They, you know, Mark, they're all yeah. over the gaff. All but over she, the place. Yeah, but she actually is developing into a good little fighter. Well, well, listen, look, I'll do a training. I'm a trainer and I'm a coach, and when she fights on fight night, I appoint people in a corner to look after it, and... Uh, and to be fair, last time out, we had some work to do, and I, I gave her her own time slot. I kept her away from, you know, from 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 in her own time slot, mm. but she mixes in at times. But she, I sparred her yesterday, not me sparred her. I got sparring in for her yesterday. She, I, I couldn't even believe it myself. Really? She looked, she, the footwork. The other girl went, listen, I can't, I can't get near you. She's got great feet, but she's backing her up. She's slipping, she's parrying, she's countering, and she's got a cracking left jab, which I like. He's a left jab in, in, in a boxer, whether you're a boxer or, or yeah. a brawler, you have a left jab. At the tail end of the interview with Mark, Spencer, Mark and myself... Well, we just had a visitor, another legend, who wanted to talk about Tyson Fury. It was Frank Warren. He wasn't happy about some of the PR that some of us at TalkSport had been giving Tyson Fury. First of all, uh, Joe, let's deal with Joe Joyce and Zhang. We were making the Zhang fight, but Joe uh, asked for his rematch, which is a rematch clause in his contract when he mm. made his uh, defended his interim title against Yang. So that's on, and that fight will take place in September. So that ruled both of them out, and mm. obviously would have ruled out um, in the first place. Um, Joe wouldn't have been able to fight because obviously he was uh, coming off the loss. 
Um, as regarding the situation with Uzik, Tyson a couple of weeks ago put a uh, just put a, a very simple message out saying, "Let's get this fight on. Let's do it." Um, terms that were agreed. He doesn't. Tyson doesn't want a rematch clause. In other words, if he loses, he, that's the end of it. That's the end of it. But if he loses uh, Usyk, he'll give him a rematch because he's, he's obviously very confident of winning Tyson. Mm. Um, and and I've been saying for ages, all Usyk is interested in is getting a big payday and fighting for big paydays in Saudi Arabia. And I don't blame him for that. I understand mm. that. But don't make it that Tyson's the greedy person. You go to Saudi Arabia because they're going to pay a lot of money, and that's what it is. And mm. if you're getting paid three or four times the amount of money, whether you want to call it greed, good business, or whatever, that's not down to Tyson Fury. That's the reason he did not want to fight Tyson Fury in the UK. And we offered him that fight over the over the summer, and we kept it very quiet. We're not got you know banged on about it. And in the interim period. Um, Usyk never came back with anything. Mm. Then, then my son George contacted, um, or we sent a, a, a written proposal to uh, Matram. Uh, George, for the Anthony Joshua went, fight, yeah. For yeah. the Joshua fight, he spoke with him. They said they'd come back in a couple of days. Subsequently, George met with um, his management company, uh, Freddie Cunningham, and they said they don't want the fight. They said he's boxing in April. Uh, sorry, boxing in August. He's going to mm. fight in August. He's in training now. Tyson was, you know, is going to fight in uh, in September, so uh, and he said then he's going to then he's going to fight in Saudi in in uh, in December, and obviously he's going there. And they, you know, everyone's up front about it because he's going to get paid a lot of money to go and fight in Saudi. The reason it's on in December in Saudi is because their stadium at the time wasn't ready, and that was the best time of year for him to do it. Um, and if you recall, Tyson in December was asked to pull out the fight against uh, Chisora on the understanding that, they, that he would then fight um, uh, fight Usyk in Saudi in February. Then it was going to be April, but then they said they can't do it until next December, this December. So Tyson's not ducks anything. He just wants to be active and busy. And in the meantime, Anthony Joshua is going to fight in August. I don't know who he's going to fight, but why don't he fight... Um, our logic was we'll fight Tyson mm. and fight in Saudi anyway because you're fighting Wilder who's lost three times to Tyson anyway and who you're going to be fighting in August is he fighting Hergovic who's in their camp or what but the bottom line is Tyson's ducked no one he's not uh, he's not desperate he's going to get a mandatory is going to be put on him um, I'm, I'm meeting with um, uh, uh, Mr. Suleiman who's over here uh, right he is it Monday, tomorrow. isn't he? Yeah, that's so right. We're, yeah. So we're meeting, and we're going to sit down and talk. And they're and the mandatory is going to become due. The number one is Wilder. Mm. The number two is Ruiz, who asked for twenty million dollars to fight. That's what Tyson. we understand. Too much, far too much. Doesn't work. Does well, it? that's yeah. the equivalent of a hundred million purse bid. So mm, you can mm, get about mm, that. Mm, mm. And, he, and no one's going to bid. bid no, well, it's just not going to happen. And number three is AJ. Yeah, now, and then Sanchez, Frank got, Sanchez is four, isn't he? Well, Wilder's yeah. out of the way, and um, and well, Wilder's going to take this big fight, as you just said. Yeah, he's going to uh, wait for Saudi money. It's a blessing in well, the cast, the Saudi well, money. Well, let me finish, and I'll explain to you. You're jumping yeah. in before I will tell you what's happening because everyone keeps keeps saying what's going to happen without having any knowledge what's going to happen. Okay, thank you, Frank. So the situation is really simple: is if Wilder says no, then it goes to Ruiz. And if Ruiz can't travel, because I understand he's got a problem at the moment in the States, 
then he'll be knocked sideways and it'll be AJ. And if it's AJ and AJ ducks it, then that tells everybody all they need to know. If he takes the fight and it goes to Persbid because we can't agree terms, having offered him 40%, he will get 20% of the Persbid. Mm. Mm. I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see uh, Fury AJ I'll be honest with you I'm not going to see it though Frank I'd much rather see gonna... the music Fury but um, having listened to Frank just now yeah. I'd love to see the uh, the AJ uh, Fury that's attractive AJ Fury is that the biggest fight in British boxing though? is that bigger than Fury Usyk Oh, it's much it bigger. I think, I think, I think it I is. Think, I think people will buy into it. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Be Although the Usyk fights would be fine. But then the other thing is Usyk's got to get through Daniel Dubois. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think people will get, and I think he's going to be in for a shock. So if Dubois wins that, see. Frank, yeah, um, are we going to see Dubois against Fury? If, if, if Daniel wins it, then he's going to be stuck with some mandatories and we will see what happens. But I believe he can win it. And if he does win it, then that upsets the upper And that's, what, what, that's what, August the 26th in Poland, Frank, right? Yeah, they've moved it back a couple of weeks. Frank, so that's Fr where we are. Frank, what's your take on Usyk um, signing with Skills Entertainment or revealing look, that today? Do, is is he trying to force that fight with Fury to definitely happen in Saudi? It's not forcing anything. Well, if, I'm if using a the word no, there. No, no, hang on, I'm, hang on. You're pushing an open door. Everybody keeps talking about doing the fight in Saudi. Mm -hmm. We've been asking for a written offer from them for at least now three months. So no official offer. No There's official no offer. offer. There's right. zero, zero offers mm -hmm. been made. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, and, it's, and everybody's been, and they've been upfront about it over there, Prince Khalid and his team, skill set, and they've said is because they're not in a position yet to make a written offer. And if so nothing can be done. And Tyson's not, not going to entertain anything unless it's a written offer. And that's it. Because we don't want the verbal stuff and whatever. Just put it in writing. And if, it's, if, if, it, if the criteria meets Tyson's demands, then not a problem. And if the money that's being, being banded about, the hundreds and hundred millions and hundred and fifty millions, it's a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer. Tyson wouldn't turn that down. But the fact of the matter is, nobody has offered a penny yet. It's very interesting to know that. Do you think they will wait for the outcome of Usyk and Dubois before they go any further with a business deal? Well, they haven't They haven't uh, waited for it now because they announced today they signed him. But you've waited months for this, haven't you? I mean, I spoke to George, um, you know, not on live on air, but I spoke to George, and, and again, he said he'd even been over there and spoken with Prince Khalid in person about it, and you still haven't received an official offer for the fight over there. And and, the, and Ravi, who's uh, also one of their people, have come back and, and said, we will put the, you know, we, we, we're just not in a position to, do, to put it into writing yet. Mm. Because at the end of the day, they have to go and... You know, they, they they'll promote it, but they have to go and 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 get the funds from the government. Mm. Mm. So it's and that's it. And no one uh, and listen. What we're saying, all this hanging around, we can do the Usyk fight in December. If 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 that's if there's an offer going to come out in December, we can do it. In the meantime, fight Joshua in 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 the in September. And if Joshua, listen, who knows? Anything can happen in heavyweight boxing. I mean, I think Tyson wins all day long. But if he wins the fight, Joshua, then he's in the he's in that mm. drive. He's in the driving seat with it. Mm. So it's just a no-brainer. And wh who is Joshua going to fight in August? 
Mm. He's not fighting. To, they're slagging Tyson off, who's offering him the fight. Is it Dillian White? On a 60-40. Who cares, Spence? Yeah. On a 60-40 chance of fighting for the world title, and you're going to get 40% of the purse, which you wouldn't get if it goes to purse bids. Mm. Yeah, that's the, that's the that's the bottom line of it. So he doesn't want the fight. He doesn't want to fight Tyson. We went down this road in 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 December where we were all we negotiated. We even got a draft contract in place. Everything was done, but the fight could never happen because Freddie Cunningham, a couple of weeks after the negotiations all stopped, to his credit, came out and told the truth. He said, "Look, it was too soon for for AJ. Plus, he doesn't even have a trainer. Now, if we'd have known about that, we'd have, we would we would." wouldn't waste so much time. Frank, thank you so much for taking the time to join us tonight and explaining a very... blaming Tyson. And I'm not here banging the drum for Tyson. This is the fella who's gone abroad and Mm. fought the best, gone to their countries and fought, been to the States three times and beat the hardest punching heavyweight out there in three brilliant fights, went to Germany and fought in 54,000 people in Germany and give him a boxing lesson when he when he was when he was the best heavyweight out there at the time. Klitschko. I don't think we're disputing he's not the number well, one. Well, well, that's Frank. what's going down, and that and that, that and all. that. Uh, you, the thing you've done in the week talking to uh, whoever that bloke you was talking Nick to, Nick Pete on Fight Night Extra, whoever yeah. it is. I mean, what is all that nonsense about? It's, what 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 does he know? What, what what? How does he know what Tyson's doing? How does he know? Mm. Well, Frank, we, we appreciate you joining us and explaining it all tonight anyway. Thank you very much. Thanks, Frank. Well, that's the fact. They are the facts. And, and, and what, the, what the narrative should be now is to AJ, why aren't you taking a fight and who are you going to fight? Okay, thanks, why don't very... he fight, uh, you know, Why don't he fight, if he's not going to fight Tyson, why don't he fight the other guy that's in their camp, Hergovic? Mm. Well, we look, forward to, we look forward to you announcing the next fight. You know, it's as simple as that, you know? Well, we're we're working on it and we will be announcing something. Um, It'll probably be in about 10 days' time once we know where we are with... uh with the WBC and, 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 our, and our other options. Thanks very and much, I Frank. Get Mark, and I might get Mark to make a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking about his career tonight. Thank Frank. you very much. Yeah, he's signed with me. Yeah, he's see, Frank, Frank yeah, I was just telling the boys here, our, um, you got me up and running as a pro. You made a, a big, big fuss of me and really looked after me. But over the years as a young trainer, you've, uh, you've really backed my corner and... Uh, been a, a you know a class um where can i say i've looked up to you frank and i learned a lot of you and i still well, do to yeah, this you're day. A bo- he's a boxing Sorry. legend frank you're a boxing legend you always have been a boxing legend <laughs> well it was fascinating to hear from frank warren and where they stand at the moment with tyson fury we do hope a fight is going to be announced for him in the summer and that heavyweight division kind of pans out and we get the schedule for the rest of the year well we were able to put that as well to Todd DeBuff, president of Top Rank. Obviously, he'll be overseeing the Josh Taylor, Teofimo Lopez fight at Madison Square Garden's Hulu Theatre next weekend. But first of all, we asked Todd about Tyson Fury's PR at present as well. You know, I'm very much aligned with Frank in that. I think uh, I think Tyson has been unfairly um, criticised myself, and I'm not saying that because of uh, our involvement with him. Um, I think he's just a little misunderstood. And I think sometimes, you know, he brings it on himself because he jumps on social media and starts acting up there. And and sometimes you have to just sit sit tight and not let your fingers do uh, 
you're you're talking and uh that's the power of social media sometimes he's brilliant with it but sometimes you know people have uh taken and wrote a wave of a narrative that i think is unfair for him do you think that's the underlining problem tom that you know social media has played a big part of this because tyson's expressed these frustrations on social media and people read into it and they say you know what i'm getting a little bit bored of it now it was entertaining before but now i'm getting a little bit bored of it and they're reading what they're seeing on 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 social media and that is the underlining problem maybe i i think it's the underlying problem for not only tyson but for a lot of the, our sport um, I think there's some stuff that could be very positive, and I think you could use the platforms in a really positive way. But I also think they're vicious, and you know, it's like this—I call it cyber graffiti. You know, people can, you know, can just go push send, and they have nothing; they can hide behind their social accounts. And a lot of people do, you know, get it for the clickbait, right? They want to get people to get a rose out of people and and move people. So. You know, I just I wish it would just be taken out of the equation as it related to any type of negotiations, any type of what I want to do, anything like that. But really a look into your own life. And if you want to take people behind the scenes of what you're doing while you're getting training, I think that's great. But when you start telling people what you're going to do and start bantering back and forth with it, I, I think it works in a negative way, not a positive way. Todd, let me ask you about a fight last weekend and a fight next weekend. Obviously, top rank were in Belfast last weekend where Mick Conlon uh, lost in his second attempt at a world title to a brilliant fighter in Luis Alberto Lopez. Obviously, you promote Lopez as well. We had Lee Wood on the show early. Obviously, beat Mauricio Lara last weekend in Manchester. Is there any prospect that you could get um, Lopez in against Lee Wood at any point for a unification? I mean... Uh, listen, we're open. We're open to do all those types of fights and the biggest fights out there. And I'm not. We wouldn't avoid anybody with him. This guy has been nicknamed the Road Warrior for a reason, mm, right? Mm. He'll go anywhere. You know, there's a new there's a new show on Fox called Stars on Mars. I may send him up there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, so I'm just saying. You know, listen, honestly, the you know. He's one of those guys that has earned it the hard way. I think he came out of nowhere, uh, you know, from Baja, California. Um, but he's a tough out. Mm -hmm. He is a tough, tough out. He has a little bit of a Mayorga style to him, um, where very unorthodox, but throws bombs from everywhere. And I think he got, uh, and I think Michael just doesn't have that type of strength to keep a guy like that off him. And he had to, like I said, the, the night of the fight, after the fight, he had to pitch the perfect game, the perfect game. And one of those perfect games was at least to get his attention. And he couldn't get Lopez's attention. And therefore, Michael had to get flat footed. And that was all she wrote. Yeah. And that he's got to, he, yeah, he's got to seriously think about where he goes from here. And I'm sure you'll be working that through with him. He's obviously um, got a huge draw in Belfast. It's a brilliant fight city, as you know. I was out over there with you for a few days as well. Um, look, um, next weekend, obviously, massive event at Madison Square Garden. Can't wait to be over there. Josh Taylor, um, a brilliant fighter from Scotland, the best boxer since Ken Buchanan to come out of Scotland. And also, obviously, a man who's been in the Ring Magazine pound-for-pound pound top ten in the last two or three years he fights Tiafimo Lopez they really don't like each other WBO world light welterweight title at the Hulu theater at Madison Square Garden we're expecting a very fiery week and an incredible fight from these two men aren't we 
their personalities are going to dictate a lot of it and their personalities from the beginning and for over a year have been spicy. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think we should remind each other of something. Tiafimo was basically the unified lightweight champion mm -hmm. and, and Josh is the unified junior welterweight or super lightweight champion yeah. and put all the titles or which titles on the line or not that might make up that match the ability of the chemistry to put that highest stakes together is what we want more of mm -hmm. today. Yeah. And then when you add in the spice and the personality of both of them, it just makes the perfect combination. And I think, you know, I think there's a great deal of respect from both of them. I think they know you're not, you do not become the unified of one division and the unified of another and not have respect for somebody. So you're going to see, see a skill level that is very high, very high, you know, very reminiscent of the Haney Loma fight. Yeah, I mean, we exactly. saw just a brilliantly fought, skillful, entertaining fight. It wasn't, you know, one guy was, you know, you know, downloading each punch and looking to counter punch him. And then by the next round had solved it. And the other guy was solving for what he just solved for. That's the type of fight should, I see. Should we see Haney and Lomachenko again, by the way? Should we see another 12 rounds between them? Because it feels like unfinished business to a lot of us, Todd. Well, I think to I think to them it's unfinished business, right? If you think about it, what the reason the purpose of the fight for Loma was to get all the titles, and the purpose for the fight for Haney was to get the credit of being an elite, elite, elite fighter by fighting an elite, elite established legacy Hall of Fame fighter. And he got the decision, but a lot of people don't think he won the fight. Mm. So neat, both of them ended up with an empty glass at the end of the match. T Todd, going back to this fight um, with Taylor and Lopez, you know, this is a super fight. If you look at these guys and their, their credentials, what they've achieved and, and you know, stylistically, what the, the build-up's going to be, this is a super fight. Why has it not captured the imagination like it should have? Well, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know that. I think timing, you know... I think, you know, I think that first of all, there there's been a lot of really good fights around them. So let you know, and a lot of times, you know, the imagination that it really catches fire usually mm. comes down to the last week, and we've yeah, seen I agree incredible. with that. I yeah, mean, I mean, it's just it's. No, but the, I mean, people should way. be talking about this because I mean, these are two of the best boxers of our times right now, and this is. I don't think that he's had the hype that he should have got, and I don't understand it. I mean, like, I don't know why the sort of the public have not been talking about it more. Well, I mean, I think we've we've been giving them a lot of other things to talk about as well, right? So now the time is to turn the flip the switch on now to even intensify it. We did a great program, you know, um, that Gareth was a part of, and when little talk talk trash, and these guys were going back and forth, um, you know. And I think it's I think the other thing that I really like about it is these guys are in their prime. It's not two guys that are looking to protect the zero. They're not the businessman of boxing. You know, they're actually going at it at the right time. Um, I think, unfortunately, you know, Josh has been out quite a bit of time because of an injury. And I think uh, Tiafimo had a, had a setback with Cambosis, but his people are not 100% sure that he can navigate those waters at 140. And we're going to see it. So will. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, people aren't going to go and eat this up as much as we think they are, as much on paper it should be. But I think they are, and we'll start to this week. 
And finally, on this week in 2014, yeah, a mega stadium fight. Carl Froch versus George Groves 2. The night when Carl Froch will always, always remind us that 80,000 people turned out for that attritional second fight between the two British super middleweights. He joined us to look back. The Cobra was on top form. Here's what he had to tell us. Digs it deep, sucks it up. the best moment in the history of my boxing career and I'm very very proud and George Groves should also be very proud let's be honest it was neck and neck in there with me and George an extraordinary finish to what has been one of the most extraordinary rivalries in British boxing in many a year you know what it's a big number and it was a first stadium fight post-war and it's a number I'm proud of because um, I think we could have got more in there, but obviously because of the traffic police and the restrictions of the uh, transport after, they had to limit it to 80,000 fans. But that was big enough for me to keep banging on about it for the last nine years. You put him away with a cannonball right hand to end the fight. Uh, brilliant tactics, uh, you and Rob McCracken. When you look back on that night, I know you, you parody now how many people were there at Wembley. It was an amazing event, an amazing build-up. And as I said earlier, you spawned massive stadium fights. Anthony Joshua can thank you for that as well. Tyson Fury can thank you for that. When you look back on that night... Apart from the finish, what do you remember about the occasion? I remember the the ring walk being like mind baffling. I was looking around thinking, wow, I can't even, because everyone that had the lights on the phones. So that memory of looking around the stadium and the noise, there wasn't a big like gladiatorial and warrior and bike type of fan. I, I, I watched all the films and there's a couple of books that I got stuck into reading about the old um, Anglo Saxons and the Vikings. And I, I just think, I just feel I belong in them days. When I walked out to the state, when I walked out to the stadium, all them people, all eighty thousand of them, the, the noise kind of dissipates into the air. You get Coliseum feel. Obviously, in an arena, the noise bounces off the ceiling, comes back in, and it's intense, it's loud, and it can pierce your ears at times on the walk. Like when I was in Nottingham against Butte, that was amazing. That was what a only eight thousand, mm. eight thousand. But the the stadium is the Coliseum, so it's like the ultimate gladiator type of environment and I just love that. I can't never ever forget going out, the pyrotechnics, obviously you've got the big flames and the lasers and all that but when it all calms down you stood in that ring you, you can't see a great deal because the lights above you are kind of blinding you from, from the crowd. You know what it's like Gareth, when you're on stage and you're looking out. And, you know. <laughs> I've been on stage listen, with before, you know. Listen, listen, Cole, I mean, you, you are responsible for bringing big-time boxing back to back to stadiums, you know. That, oh, and that, that, so. that, yeah, George Grove played his part. He, no, he did. Eddie Hearn did a fantastic job, but me and George and our, our beef, we made that happen. But yeah, go on, carry on. Yeah, no, I was saying, but that all started from that first fight. You go back to, you know, um, the eight, or November, sorry, of 2013, which was five or six months before that. You go back there and, and, and you look at what happened in that fight, the controversy surrounding the stoppage, but the way that you picked yourself up. I want to ask you about this, Cole, like going into that fight, because I didn't think you should have took the rematch after that fight, because I was thinking, well, I don't know if the Cobra's going at this stage. And I think you knew that I, I, I was sort of like quite vocal 
talking about saying, well, I think yeah, Groves, well, Groves is going to win this one. But you proved not just me, but many others wrong as well. And you proved what a great champion you are. But I want to talk to you about that first fight when you went over in that first round. The powers of recovery, mate, that you took there shows the sign of a great, not just a good fighter, a great fighter. The way you come back, the fight was stopped. You know, could some people say controversially in the ninth round, yes, Groves was going and it was a point, but maybe Howard Foster jumped in too soon. But that created the um, the appetite, really, for that fight and that rematch and getting back into them stadiums, didn't it? But it, it all come from that first fight. I mean, how you pulled yourself through that first round knockdown, mate? You know, explain how you done that. When you get put down for the first time, you're a bit shocked and you're a bit like, right, what's going off? Where do I look? Where do I, do I jump straight up? Where am I? Um, and... I looked over at my corner and it was Rob McCracken just, yeah, I don't know what face he was pulling, but I, I knew I was in trouble when I got back to the corner because I got a bit sloppy and I walked into a right hand. But I just took my eight count in that first one with Jermaine Taylor, the first knockdown, and I stood up and I was okay. My feet were under me and I felt solid. But when Groves flattened me in round one in Manchester, mm. I'll be honest, I've got no memory recollection of it. He obviously mm. hit me that hard, I can't remember. When I watch it back, I was like, I didn't see that. I don't even know what happened. I think I caught him with a little bit of a uppercut in my head, and I thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna step in down, hit him with a big shot. And I, I just reached over. Everything went wrong. My my balance was wrong. I was my weight was over my front foot, mm. and I was lunging with shot. And he just sat back for a count of one two, and the right hand landed flush on my chin mm. and flattened me. And right. I can't remember a great deal watching it. I stood up. My legs were still hurting because I was wobbling. I fell back the ropes. Then Howard Foster brought us together. And Groves it with about three or four more shots. Then the bell went and it moved another one for good luck to go back to the corner with. And literally, I had to draw on all my experience at world level and all my, all my years in the train and all the world title fights that I'd had that Gareth, Gareth A. Davis mentioned earlier. Because that seasoned experience and that, that toughness and that fitness and that refusal to quit, that you can't train. But the, the fact that I was a seasoned pro and I'd trained at world level for so long, I was never going to stay down and I was never going to quit. And um, I just think that I was so, I, I don't like to use the word hate, but I really did hate George Groves. I couldn't stand him. And there was no way I was going to stop throwing punches and there's no way I was going to stop trying to get him and trying to knock him out because I just had to get him. And um, thankful because that's why we got Wembley Stadium. Listen, Cole, so what I want to ask you is, this is, the, this is the question that I need to know. I don't think we've ever spoke about this is, after that fight and you come through and there was controversy surrounding it, did you have any doubt going into that second fight? Because, you know, a lot of people did, myself included, you know. I think, and I did. Yeah, and, and yeah. I want to know what was wrongly, going through, wrongly, what was going through your mind, you know, going into that rematch like that. Because speaking as an ex-fighter, I know that, you know, there can be certain demons there of what you yeah, had to come definitely. through because that was tough. How did you do that, mate? What was going through your mind? Did you have any doubts? He'd beaten him the first time. Yeah, that doesn't matter, Gareth. He'd been on his ass in the first round as well, and he'd had a tough time, and he had to use all his experience. He knocked Jermaine Taylor out in that fight you mentioned with 14 seconds left in the fight. This man has no doubt. I'll answer for him right now. No, you can't. Frotch does not have doubts. You can't. I'm speaking as an ex-fighter. I knew when he was a a shaky middleweight as a young man. (laughs) Listen. He never had doubts as a pro. Listen, get back in your box. I've got to ask this question. I'm sweating over it. Stop. Sorry, sorry about this, Carl. He's been like this all night. I apologise, mate. I want to asking you, speaking to you as an ex-fighter, did you have any doubts going back into the, that, that uh, second I fight? As, as a fighter and as an ex-fighter yourself, you know you, you know yourself, there's always going to be a question on your shoulder. There's always going to be a little demon pecking Thank away you. you saying, what if, what if? But on the night of that rematch, I'd already, I'd already said to myself, right, 
I turned up in that first fight, ill-prepared. Not I only had a six-week training camp, so I was doing a sedan show with my Didn't with my think wife. he was on your level. And, and I, was, I was just thinking to myself, right, I, I turned up. I was, I was not fit and strong. I'd not done the training like I should have done it. I, I took him for granted. I thought I was going to come on the chin and knock him out. So I was, mm. I wasn't as fit as I should have been. I'd not done the sparring, and I got dropped in round one. So it couldn't have gone any worse for me the sure. first fight. Then he backed to me for six rounds, and I'm still standing. And I somehow managed to, to get through all that bloody aggravation and headache, jaw ache, climb off the canvas and still beat him. So in my head, I'm thinking to myself, right, I've had a 12-week training camp. It's gone perfect. I've had all this sparring with Danny Belly and Chris Eubank. I had some great sparring. and I'm as fit as I've ever been, even at 36 years old, getting on for my 37th birthday a month later. I was a machine. So when I walked to that ring, to answer, to answer your questions, I had no doubt whatsoever that I was going to win. And I was prepared to go out. I was prepared to go out flat on my back. And, you know, a fighter that's prepared to, to risk everything and, and risk getting in punching range and getting hit with counter punches and risk to slog it out, that's a dangerous fighter because somebody who can take a punch like me. Don't forget, I've never been knocked out in my whole career. I've, never been, I've, got down, I've been put down twice in my career and I've got up both times to win the fight. So I'm not worried about getting flattened or chinned. Like when David Hay used to get dropped and Anthony Joshua got done by Ruiz, when he, when he came back, he was a bit like, bloody hell, I can get knocked out here. You see people when they're gun shy. Mm. I never had the reason to be gun shy. So in that rematch at Wembley, I was just drawing on the confidence from a 12-week perfect training camp, from the fact that I beat him in the first fight. So when I did the ring walk, I just thought, at some point over this 12 rounds, 12 three-minute rounds, 36 minutes, at some point, I'm going to hit you on the chin really, really hard with these small 10-ounce gloves, and you're going to be knocked out. I spoke to Rob last week on my podcast, Frotch on Fighting, on my YouTube channel, and he said something to me that he never told me before, and he says, there was something different about you that week because you were smiling, you were being friendly to everyone, and, and you wasn't so... You know, like on fight, mm. when you get a bit grumpy and a bit miserable. He said, I, t- I could tell something was different, and he said, I think I know what it was. I think you knew it was your last fight and you were going to retire. And he was right, because I knew walking to that ring that this was the last time I was going to do it. So it was quite emotional, but I was able to enjoy it, and I was able to think to myself, you know what, I'm going out on my shield, and if it means I'm going to get chinned. I was aware that George Groves was good enough to knock me over again and maybe finish me off. I was aware of that, because he'd done it in the first fight. But I didn't worry about it, and there was no fear. Because you know what I'm like? I'm that kind of character. Exactly. Carl, um, as we've got you on, your absolute honesty on your your own podcast is phenomenal. I applaud you on that. And you, you don't even play the game on TV when you're doing comms. You find it very, very difficult because you're so honest. I need short answers to this because we are ending the show shortly. But I want quick-fire answers from you. Next weekend, Josh Taylor and Tiafimo Lopez. Who wins that? Taylor. And I think it's going to be tough, but I think he'll do it. How annoyed are you by the heavyweight division right now? Yes, very. There's fights happening that should be happening that aren't. And there are all this, this nonsense coming out of Tyson Fury's mouth. He's offering everyone the fight. No one's signing the contract. I'm not sure how, how confident AJ is fighting Deontay Wilder. I know Usyk will fight anybody, but who wants to fight him? It's just a mess at the minute. And finally, and this is what we're going to end the show on, you've been retired nine years. If that fight with Conor McGregor you've talked about materialised, would you do it? Absolutely. If he would, decide, if he decided one morning he woke up and thought he fancied a boxing match with Carl Frotch, he's been giving me a bit of stick. He's been running his mouth a little bit, and he, he, he is. Let's be honest, he's a bit of a god. In it, and um, he, he talks too much. He's got a lot to say, and I don't think he'd take it, Conor McGregor. But that would get me out of retirement. 
You've been listening to the Fight Night podcast on TalkSport with me, Gareth and Ava Spencer-Oliver. Thanks to him joining me this week in the studio and all our guests. Don't forget, you can catch up with all the interviews that we do across the world of boxing on the TalkSport YouTube channel. We will be live again next on June the 16th for Adam Azim headlining in London. Until then, we'll see you next time. At TalkSport, we absolutely love it when our fans get stuck in. That's why we want you to join us in The Dugout, a brilliant new TalkSport listener community. It's a place where you can tell us what sports you're into and who your favourite teams are. And tell us what you think we could do better, like big guests and new sports and that. You could win an Amazon voucher for taking part. What are you waiting for? Visit TalkSport.com dugout and get stuck in. 18 plus, terms and conditions apply.